welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Well, good morning, church. I'm so thankful to gather with you this morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Church, let's raise our eyes, our voices, and our hearts in contemplation and praise of the God of heaven. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, glory and praise be to your name. For you alone are holy. You alone are good. Forgive us, Lord. We have all pursued our own way. We need you. We need you every hour. But thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, please draw us to you this morning so that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good 
En als het verduidelijk wordt door die prediking. Ons komen gezondheid van aanbidding. Door ons gezondheid, die liederen wat ons zijn, ja, en in ons gebede. Kom ons buig ons hoofdste, dan bid ons saam. Heere God van die hemel, groot en ontzaglijke God, wat in die trouwe liefde vol hart, luister toch, geef toch ach op die gebed, wat ek en die dienaars, sonder ophoud tot die bid. Ek bid vir die kinders, ons doen beleidnis van die sondes wat ons teen u begaan het. Ook ek en my familie het gesondig. Ons het u nie geëer nie. Ons was ongehoorzaam in, aan die voorskrifte in die Bijbel. Ons het allemaal gedwaal so skape. Ons het elkeen ons eie pad geloop. Maar u het ons allemaal se sonde op die Jezus laat afkom. En is hy terwille van ons oortredinge deurboor. Terwille van ons ongerechtighede is hy verbruisel. Die straf wat vir ons die vrede aanbring was op hom. En dier sy wonde het daar vir ons geneesing gekom. Dankie vader. Aan u kom toe eer en heerlijkheid. En saam met David kan ons sê. Loof die Heere oor my siel en alles wat binnen in my is. Sy heilige naam. Loof die Heere oor my siel en vergeet geen een van sy weldade nie wat al my ongerechtighede vergewe, wat al my krankhede genees, wat my leven verlos van die verderf, wat my kroon met goede tierneid en barmhartigheid. Ons Vader, ons bring vanochtend ook ons gemeente behoefte, behoeftes en die gebedslijst voor u. Ons bid vanmorgen vir Kitty en Herman, vooral vir Kitty waarin vir een die licht dat sy moendelike oogoperatie sal moet ondergaan, dat die vir haar sal voorsien. We pray for Irene and her medical aid challenges and ask that you would please grant her mercy and that they would help her. Ons bid vir Christine en haar gezondheidsprobleme, vooral ook met die oog op haar oogoperatie morgen. We pray for Tony and Mariette as they travel this week. We pray for Tony as he struggles with pain. Ons bid saam met Jonathan en andere wat worstel om genoegzame inkomste te genereer om hulle verantwoordelikhede na te kom. En nou, Vader, wanneer ons ons gereed maak om na die woord te luister, bid ons vir Pastor Bryant en ons sê saam met die psalmskrywer, laat die woorde van my mond en die oordenking van my hart wel behaaglik wees voor die aangezicht. O Heere, my rots en my verlosser, in die naam van Jesus bid ons dit. Amen. Let's rejoice together that our standing with God is not based on our performance, but rather on His righteousness and His mercy. Let's stand together again and sing. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. 
sins they are many, His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, near every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, near every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Please be seated. Thank you for your singing. Uh, we're going to continue our series in Ephesians 2. Uh, the reading of the text this morning is to be from verses 4 through 10. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, good morning. It's good to, uh, good to be together again this morning. We return to this uh, passage in uh, Ephesians. If you have your, you have your place there in Ephesians chapter 2, passage from verse 4 through 10, Paul is describing uh, God's work and salvation for us as believers. And this, this uh, passage is packed full of uh, truth for us. And so we return this morning as we look at uh, God's marvelous work of salvation. If you notice there in the reading, the last part of verse 10, it really sums up for us uh, this work with the saying, we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. That's really a, a beautiful uh, a statement, isn't it? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That word uh, workmanship is, uh, is from the Greek word poema. And, and you can hear in that, uh, in that word, our English word poem. And it was used uh, in the... Uh, general use of the word to refer to some something that was made uh, with great skill or ability. Uh, and 
usually referring to some work of art or a poem or a painting or architecture or something like that. It, it really referred to a, a masterpiece of work that uh, you, could, you could see that uh, with, with great skill and ability, planning, something had been made. And, you know, as you think about um, a masterpiece or a, or a workmanship, most of us, you know, can, can look at something and tell, well, you know, that, that's really well done, especially if you have some experience in that, um, in that field. If you, if you, if you are a, some type of craftsman, you can really appreciate the work and the, uh, and the skill and the planning and all that, uh, that it took to go into that. And, and you, can, you can see that something is uh, well made uh, when you look at it. Although there's uh, some paintings that um, are, are really considered to be uh, masterpieces. And, and yet, uh, when I look at them, I kind of turn my head and think, well, maybe it's upside down. <laughs> some of the abstract art is not quite so, uh, so obvious. But when God does something, when God makes something, uh, it's evident for all who see it, or should be evident for all who see it, that this is an uh, unparalleled work. It is a masterpiece. Uh, when God makes something with his power and wisdom, it's a, it's a masterpiece beyond comparison. Well, there's only one other place in the New Testament where uh, this word uh, poema is used. And that is in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And some of you remember that passage where Paul uh, is speaking of the creation. And he says, is that which God had made. Uh, and, and he's referring to this workmanship of God as the creation. Well, obviously our, our world is tainted by the fall. But, but even still, we're able to see in the creation the the wisdom of God and the power of God and His creative ability. And, and yet even in our world around us, when it looks at the creation and all the intricate design and the beauty, they'll look at that and, and, and say, well, I wonder how many billions of years it took for that to come about by chance. And we shake our heads and, uh, because we, it's obvious to us uh, that the Creator God is the cause. Well, here in our text in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10, we see that our salvation is a, a poema of God, a, a masterpiece or a workmanship of God. And, and we've been seeing in this letter that uh, God's work in salvation is great. In chapter 1, we've, we've looked at, at some of that um, evidence already, uh, this, this work of God. And yet, God's work uh, in, in salvation, God's work in creation is, is great. It's a masterpiece. It's a, it, it shows His uh, workmanship. But God's work in salvation is even greater. It, it's even greater work of His great power, His planning, His creative ability. Uh, as Henry Morris writes, God has written two poetic masterpieces, as it were, one in the physical creation and one in the lives of men and women redeemed and saved by His grace. Well, as we go to this context, remember in chapter 2, in the first three verses, Paul is, 
is, is laid out the, the lost condition of man without Christ. And he's described man or mankind in uh, his sin as being dead in trespasses and sins. And this analogy that of, of being dead, Paul is, is making the point that man in and of himself, he does not have any desirability to know God. He doesn't seek after God. And, and man left unto himself will, will stay as far away from God and things of God as he can. Some of you can probably remember back before you were saved and avoiding the things of God, trying to stay away from other believers or anybody that wanted to talk about God or the, or the Bible or the grace of God. I can remember even as a, even as a child uh, growing up, my mom uh, took, um, took me and my sister to, to church every week, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We had Wednesday night services, and so, so if there's something happening, she took us. At that stage, my dad wasn't going to church, but, uh, but that, was a, that was a routine for us. It was, uh, it was something that uh, was very common, although they didn't have uh, things like we often have today for children. You know, we, we had a Sunday school class on Sunday morning, but there was no children's church or any kind of programs. It was, uh, it was just something that we, we sat and we listened and we, we participated to the degree that we could. And I remember one uh, one Sunday or one weekend, I think I was about eight, and uh, my cousin came to spend the night on Saturday night, and uh, so he we'd been playing, having a good time, and and uh, and so that morning uh, we wanted to keep continue playing, and so I asked mom, can I stay home from church and play with my cousin? And uh, so she she re- reluctantly agreed. And I thought that was great. I get to stay home and play. But, you know, even as an eight-year-old, afterwards, I didn't feel so good about that. And even before I was saved, God was beginning to do a work in my heart to draw me unto himself and to the things of God. Uh, Harry Ironside tells a story of of a new believer who gave his testimony during the church gathering he says, with a smile on his face and joy in his heart, the man related how he had been delivered from a life of sin. He gave the Lord all the glory, saying nothing about any of his own merits or what he had done to deserve the blessing of redemption. And he says there was a person in the group who didn't fully appreciate the reality of salvation by grace through faith alone, apart from human works. And so this man responded to the young man's comments by saying, you seem to indicate that God did everything when He saved you. Didn't you do your part before God did His? And the new Christian said, Oh yes, I did. For more than 30 years, I ran away from God as fast as my sins could carry me. Uh, that was my part. But God took out and ran me down. That was His part. Now you may not be familiar with that southern phrase there. God took out after me and ran me down. <laughs> that just means that that God went after him and caught him. <laughs> it caught him by his grace. And, you know, the more, the more we come to realize what God has done for us in saving us, the more we realize that God ran us down. He ran us down with his love. It's been shown to us in mercy and grace. As we saw last time in verses 4 and 5, of the emphasis on 
this mercy and grace of God. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And you remember also we we give us some definition to those terms, mercy and grace. And noting that God's mercy speaks of the fact that He doesn't give us what we deserve, which is judgment, separation from God for eternity. But God gives us grace, chanada, gives us what we don't deserve, which is salvation and a life with Him. So as Paul describes salvation in this passage, he lists three things that God does in and for us. He, he makes us alive, He raises us up, and He seats us in the heavenly places. Uh, these three verbs, these actions, are the, the main verbs in, the, in this section. And it describes God's workmanship, His masterwork in our salvation. Let's look again at uh, this these verses in verse 5 and 6, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice that all three of, of these works is something that God has done and He has done in us but notice also that it said that it's done in us together with Christ. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Why, did, why does he say it like that? That uh, we, are, we are made alive together with Christ. All three of these verbs has the same prefix that together with. And uh, he's, he's saying together with Christ, together with him. Let's look at this a bit. First of all, we're made alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. This new life that he's speaking of here, this being made alive, is the, is the new spiritual birth of salvation in Christ. You remember John chapter 3, where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says to him, you must be born again, or born from above. This is this spiritual birth that salvation involves, this new life from Christ, the spiritual life that God offers. And this life is bound up in Jesus Christ. If you have Christ, you have life. If you don't have Christ, you don't have this life. Uh, later in that chapter, Jesus says to Nicodemus, after he's, he's explained to him, that, you know, Nicodemus is a bit confused by this terminology, that word, born again or born from above has both uh, possibilities. The same word can, can be, a, be a born again or it can mean from above. And, and later in the chapter, it's translated as above as well. And John uses that word uh, on, on different occasions. But it seems that Jesus intentionally made it somewhat vague for Nicodemus. So Nicodemus would ask, what do you mean? Can, can you be born? Can you go back into your mother's womb? You can't do that. You can't be born again. And so Jesus wants to make the point to him, no, this birth, this life, this rebirth is a spiritual birth. It's one that comes from God. And he says to him in verse 14, 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the life that Jesus is speaking of. You, some of you may remember the, 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 the illustration that, that he's drawing on here from the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, and as they are, are wandering about there for those towards the end of that 40 years, they were required to, to wander in the wilderness. They, they were being bitten by these poisonous snakes, and some were dying. And God told Moses to make this bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And everybody that would look to that, uh, look to that serpent would live. And so here Jesus says, just like that, the Son of Man must be lifted up, referring to his crucifixion. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Towards the end of the, end of, uh, well, further into chapter 5, he says this statement also, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. This is the, this is the new life. This is the being made alive together with Christ. That's what he's, what he's talking about. We come to faith in Christ, we are saved. We're giving, given life because of what Christ did for us in dying for us on the cross and in our place. But notice more than that, in our salvation, we're so closely identified with Christ that we are said to have died with Him and that we are risen with Him. Now, when Jesus died, we weren't there physically, obviously. We weren't even born yet. But spiritually speaking, we were there with Him. We died with Him and we have been given new life with Him. We're raised with Him, and we're seated with Him. And this is what the Scripture means when it says things like that we are, as believers, are in Christ. It's this, it's this relationship, this living relationship that we have with Christ. What we have in Christ is directly related to what He did for us. And sometimes that's it's kind of hard to for us to grasp, especially when what Christ did happened you know, almost 2,000 years ago. And yet we have this bond with him, this relationship with him. You could think of it maybe this way. Uh, let's say you have a wealthy uncle, and in, in his will, he's left everything to you. And so if he makes a good investment and increases his wealth, your wealth increases. But if he makes a bad investment and loses everything, you lose everything, don't you? So, so your wealth is directly linked to his wealth. And so in a, a limited way, you can see how that what God did in Christ, death, resurrection, and exaltation is linked to us. What he did there for us impacts us because we were there, in a sense, with him. We're, we are united with him. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then we would have no hope for this eternal life. We go back to our back to our text in Ephesians 2, verse 5 and 6, as Paul describes God's work in making us alive and, and raising us up and seating us with him. He interjects this statement: by grace you have been saved. Now we we've already thought about grace as God giving us what 
we don't deserve. You could also say it's God's unmerited favor and enablement. It's unmerited. In other words, we don't deserve it. It's, it's, we're getting right at the definition of what grace means. It's, it's something that we don't deserve. It's, it's purely from God's initiative. That's grace. It's a favor towards us. It's enablement for us. And it's, it begins at salvation as we experience it. And it continues. We continue living in this in grace from God. He enables us. He helps us. He strengthens us. All of that comes from Him by His grace. But notice in this passage that Paul, he interrupts his thought, really. He's talking about being made alive, being raised up, being seated. But soon as he says that we're made alive, he, he interrupts that thought by saying, by grace, you have been saved. It's, uh, it's, it's Paul, as he begins this, uh, this uh, thought, he interrupts himself. And if we took out all of the the interjections that Paul makes in that passage, it would read like this. But God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. But before Paul could get to the end of that thought, he interjects this phrase, by grace you have been saved. And it seems as if he was so eager to emphasize the grace of God in our salvation, he he interrupts his, his thought, which Paul often does that. If you are familiar with um, the way he writes, he'll, he'll start talking about something and he gets it's as if he can't wait to get <laughs> to the end until he tells you something else that God has done. And the, the, the point that he's making is that we're God's workmanship. It's by His grace. It's life that we have. Not because of We've done anything worthy of God's love or favor, but purely because of God's grace that we are saved. There's a note in the the Life Application Bible Commentary that it says, when you see a turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by himself. (laughs) It's obvious that someone has placed him up there, right? Well, in a much more profound way. As Christians, we're given life, we're raised up, and we're seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. And it's very obvious we didn't get there by ourselves. God placed us there by His grace. We're also raised up, He said, together with Christ. And this again speaks to our identification with Christ, which includes resurrection. Because Christ was raised, we as believers are raised with Him. And all three of these works are past works, but they continue into the presence. That's, that's what salvation does. It's when we put our faith in Christ, we are saved. And yet there's this continuing reality. I won't get into the, the details of, of, of the grammar, but grammarians make a big point about that statement that says, by grace you have been saved, because it's a bit of a unique construction that uses a perfect tense. And uh, together with, with, with other tenses in that, in that phrase that really emphasize the point that what God did then continues into the present and, and forward. And so this work of God is not like, well, he, 
he, he gave us life there, and then, then later on he's going to raise us up, and later on we're going to be seated with him. No, it's, it all happened at the same time at our salvation, this, this work of God. Obviously, we're, we're not, uh, uh, we're not in, in heaven yet. We're not physically seated together with Christ yet. We still have these bodies. We're not physically resurrected yet, but in a, in a spiritual sense, we are already experiencing this new life. We're already experiencing the, the resurrection power of God in our life. And, and as we'll see in this third point, we're already seated with Him in the heavenly places. Uh, the, the third, um, uh, before we get to the third thing, notice that verse there in um, uh, Romans 6. There Paul speaks of this identification that we have with Christ, this union with Christ. And there he uses the analogy of being baptized into Christ. Now he's, he's not here talking about, in Romans 6, he's not talking about physical water baptism or being immersed into water. That's what baptism means to be, to be immersed into. But he's talking about the spiritual baptism or being placed into a relationship with Christ by His Holy Spirit. In other words, our salvation, we, we have such a close relationship or union with, with Christ as we're described as being baptized into Him. And then this, this all takes place at the moment of our salvation. Notice, notice there in Romans 6, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? So there's the, the the analogy that he's trying to communicate here of this this spiritual being immersed into Christ, this union with Christ, so that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are said to have died with Him. He says, "We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life." And we we uh, normally quote from this passage when we have when we have a baptismal service uh, because it it pictures this burial this co burial this co resurrection with Christ because in water baptism at least at least uh, the way the Baptists do it the the immersion into water it pictures this being buried with Christ and coming out of the water pictures this being resurrected or being raised up with Christ and this new life that we have now. That's why he says to walk in newness of life. There's this new life that we have. We're now to walk in it. And although we're still in our physical bodies, we still have these aches and pains and difficulties and problems, we are already risen with Christ spiritually. And one day we will experience the physical resurrection. And He comes for us. We'll be caught up. Or if we die, we'll be with Him. And we will experience that day when He returns a physical resurrection. But even now, what we need to remember is that we already have this resurrection life in Christ. Well, what does this practically mean for us? Well, it means that we've been delivered from the bondage of sin. We've, we've died with Christ to this old man, the old life, the bonds that 
Satan and sin upon us. We, we died with him and we have new life now. And we've been raised up with him in this new life. And we are able to live a life of obedience to God by his grace. We're able to live a victorious Christian life. Uh, whereas before we really had no hope outside of Christ. But now we have new life. We have new um, new ability in Christ. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We're like Lazarus who came out of the grave and, and, and Jesus says, take, take the, the, the bandages off of him and turn him loose. Let him go. The next time we see Lazarus, he's, he's reclining at the table with Jesus and, and fellowshipping with, around the meal there together. And this really speaks to this third work of God in our salvation and it speaks to our, our position in Christ. We are seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. This is our new citizenship in heaven, in heavenly places. We're still on the earth, but uh, this earth is not our home now. Our home is in heaven. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of His beloved Son. That's the, that's the truth of who we are in Christ. This imagery of being seated, it speaks of a work that is finished. It's like the, the end of the day when you sit down and you just rest. And it's, it's the work of Christ that is finished. He finished His work on the cross. This work of salvation for us was finished on the cross and He was raised up and, and seated at the right hand of, of God in heaven. And that, that speaks to his authority and his position, but it also speaks to the reality that his work is finished. It's, it's done in him. As believers, we are seated with him. And we do not work for our salvation. It's, it's already done. It's finished in Christ. We're able to rest in the finished work of Christ. Now, for sure, there is work to be done. And, and we're going to get to that. We get down to verse 10. There is work for us to do now that we are saved, but we don't work for our salvation. Someone has said we work from it. And that's, that's the reality. But you know, as you think about the religions of the world, they all have some form of work to do. Something you must merit, something you must earn. Go here, do that. Abstain from this. Dedicate yourself to that. It's something to do. But in Christianity, we say it's done. It's done in Christ. It's finished. And it's given to us by God's grace. I'd like to conclude with this admonition from Colossians chapter 3. And there Paul is writing about this same topic, the same work of God. And he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's the practical application of this, of this um, truth of our identity with Christ, His death, burial, resurrection, ex exaltation. John Piper gives this helpful illustration of this truth. And he says, now what does he mean 
that we are seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. He says, we're all right here in this room, aren't we? And he goes on, what did Tony Bennett mean with, when he sang, I left my heart in San Francisco? <laughs> Some of you may have not know that song. But he, he goes on to say, well, he meant that San Francisco still holds his affections. San Francisco is always pulling him back. San Francisco governs his taste. He may look like he's in Chicago, but Chicago has no claim on his affections. It's a foreign land to him. He's not interested in being like the natives of the the Windy City. That is the way it is with us when we are converted. God takes our heart and puts it in heaven with Christ. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So just like it is with Tony Bennett in San Francisco, so it is with us in heaven. It's heaven that holds our affections. It's heaven that always pulling, is always pulling us upwards. It's heaven that governs our taste. We may be in the world, but the world has no claim on us. It's a foreign land. We are exiles and aliens. Father, we do thank you this morning these truths. Thank you for the wonderful work, the masterpiece, Lord, of your salvation that you have accomplished in us who are believers, who have come to you accepting your gift of salvation. Lord, thank you uh, of these truths that we can hardly comprehend, we can hardly fathom uh, the work that you have done. And yet, Lord, as we grow in our faith, we continue to learn more of what you've done for us and what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would heed the admonition that we would set our minds upon you, that we would allow you and what you've done for us to draw us, Lord, into greater heights of submission and obedience to you. You've done all for us. You've given us everything, Lord. Lord, may we avail ourselves of your enablement, your word, Spirit of God dwelling within us, May we walk in this new life that we have in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise our wonderful, merciful Savior. Please stand. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer, Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we Please. 
to um, uh, remind you, I think most of you probably realize we have the uh, offering uh, box there at the, at the entrance of the, the door there, and we want to thank uh, Friek for that, uh, making that for us. You can see his uh, workmanship in that, and so we do appreciate that very much. And I um, also want to announce, uh, coming up in just a couple of weeks, uh, the, the 14th of March, it's uh, two, two more weeks away. We, we planned a baptismal service. Uh, so if there's anyone else that has interest in learning more about that, please let me know. Also, uh, the matter of, of membership. If you have questions about uh, membership or uh, official membership or anything like that, uh, please let me know 